You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Barracuda Networks urges replacement of their gear. Fracturizer infects Minecraft mods. ChatGPT sees a court date over hallucinations and defamation. Asylum Ambuscade engages in both crime and espionage. The U.S. delivers Ukraine Starlink connectivity. DDoS attacks hit the Swiss Parliament's website. My conversation with Eric Goldstein, Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at CISA. Our guest is Delilah Schwartz from Cyber6 Gill, discussing how the dark web is evolving with new technologies like ChatGPT. And BEC crooks see their day in court. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Friday, June 9th, 2023. Barracuda Networks is urging customers to immediately replace its email security gateways due to a security vulnerability, CVE 2023-2868. The company says the vulnerability, which has been exploited in the wild, existed in a module which initially screens the attachments of incoming emails. The earliest evidence of exploitation was in October 2022, CSO reports that the Australian Capital Territory government has disclosed that it was breached via the flaw. Rapid7 notes that moving from a patch to a need for total device replacement is fairly stunning, as it insinuates that the attackers have persistence at a level that requires more than an entire device wipe. The vulnerability's description says that it stems from an incomplete sanitizing of tape archive processing, The description says that the vulnerability stems from incomplete input validation of a user-supplied .tar file as it pertains to the names of the files contained within the archive. This can allow for an attacker to perform a remote execution of system commands. Minecraft mods were discovered to contain malware called Fracturizer in a pseudo-supply chain attack. 
It's described as pseudo because the affected mods are not advertised as supported media by Minecraft. It's an attack on the modder supply chain. Bitdefender released a report describing the attack, explaining that several Minecraft mods hosted on popular modding hubs CurseForge and Bucket contained info-stealing malware, which caused accounts to be compromised and used to update and publish malware-lined versions of mods and plugins. As Bleeping Computer reports, several CurseForge and Bucket accounts were compromised and used to inject malicious code into plugins and mods, which were then adopted by popular mod packs such as Better Minecraft, which has over 4.6 million downloads. Bleeping Computer further notes that the infected updates were archived, but nonetheless sent out to users to remain undetected for as long as possible. This attack has a similar ring to it as the recent MoveIt and C3X supply chain attacks, as the attackers targeted developers upstream of their intended victims. This allows them to reach a much wider target base than, say, targeting each user on CurseForge and Bucket individually. Georgia radio host Mark Walters is suing OpenAI LLC for defamation after ChatGPT allegedly generated an answer that falsely stated that Walters had been sued for fraud and embezzlement, Bloomberg Law reports. The hallucinated result was generated for a journalist covering a case unrelated to Walters. The lawsuit describes ChatGPT's allegations as false and malicious, with intent to injure Walters' reputation and expose him to public hatred, contempt, or ridicule. In a separate case, two lawyers are facing potential sanctions in the Southern District of New York after they used phony legal research generated by ChatGPT, the Associated Press reports. The lawyer who included the fictitious research in their court filing apologized, stating that he did not comprehend that ChatGPT could fabricate cases. ESET reports that a Belarusian threat group, Asylum Ombuscad, active since 2020 at least, has been engaged in what ESET regards as an unusual mixture of cybercrime and cyberespionage. It's described by ESET as a crimeware group targeting bank customers and cryptocurrency traders in a variety of regions that include North America and Europe. Espionage, ESET writes, has also been observed against government entities in Europe and Central Asia. The group's tools are often developed in script languages that include AutoHotKey, JavaScript, Lua, and Python, among others. Proofpoint last year announced its discovery of asylum ombudsman's activities against organizations providing aid to Ukrainian refugees and against European governments generally sympathetic to Ukraine's cause, and that it was primarily an espionage group. ESET's assessment, however, is that Asylum Ambuscade is originally and primarily a criminal group. The espionage in this case now appears to be a side hustle. The U.S. Department of Defense is buying Starlink connectivity to bolster the resilience of Ukraine's communications. Citing concerns about operational security, the department has declined to provide details of the Starlink support. SpaceX had footed the bill for a while, but the Pentagon has relieved the company of that particular loss leader. Switzerland's parliament came under DDoS attacks Wednesday and Thursday of this week, Netzvaka reports. There's no clear attribution, but coincidentally or not, 
The attack followed an announcement that Ukrainian President Zelensky would address the Swiss lawmakers in a virtual conference next week. And finally, the U.S. attorneys for the Southern District of Texas and the Southern District of New York have announced that 11 people in several states are now in custody and facing charges of criminal involvement in business email compromise attacks. All 11 have been charged with conspiracy to commit wire fraud and money laundering. The U.S. attorneys say that the schemes cost victims millions in losses. The announcement explains... The charges stem primarily from business email compromise schemes. Conspirators allegedly posed as legitimate businesses and fraudulently diverted money from victim bank accounts into accounts they controlled. According to the charges, they gained access to business email accounts and spoofed email addresses to deceive victims into believing they were making legitimate payments. So, it's a sadly familiar story. The crooks pose as a legitimate business charging for legitimate services provided and then inveigle the purchaser of those services into diverting payment to an account the crooks control. Once the money is there, it's laundered and then gone, baby gone. The alleged crooks operated mostly from Houston and Los Angeles, but their alleged crimes hit people in a variety of locations, including Edison Township of Middlesex County, New Jersey, The collars were the work of the FBI and the Edison Police Department, so bravo to both of them in a nice example of federal and local partnership. And to federal and local partnership among the prosecutors as well. The U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Texas particularly thanks the Middlesex County District Attorney. Well done all around. Coming up after the break, my conversation with Eric Goldstein, Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at CISA. Our guest is Delilah Schwartz from Cyber6Gill, discussing how the dark web is evolving with new technologies like ChatGPT. Stick around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. 
Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Delilah Schwartz is a security strategist from Israeli cyber intelligence firm Cyber6Gil. I reached out to her for insights on how the dark web is evolving with new threats from technologies like ChatGPT. I think on a whole, cyber criminals and criminals in general tend to be the early adopters of new technology and innovation in general. Um, And that's been the case with this new trend of generative AI tools like ChatGPT and other similar technologies. As soon as ChatGPT was released by OpenAI uh, late last year, we immediately saw a massive rush of discourse about this on the cybercriminal underground across the deep and dark web with malicious threat actors quick to discuss the various ways that they could abuse these new technologies for their own malicious purposes. And what are some of the specific things that you see them adopting? Well, immediately and initially, there was a lot of talk about the get-rich-quick scams, and that might be through fraudulent work. It might be through manipulating gaming um, and gambling scams or other types of online gaming technologies. We also saw threat actors discussing how to use ChatGPT to create dark web marketplaces that were able to process cryptocurrency as a form of payment. And also in the same breath, we heard cybercriminals quick to discuss the ways that they could use this human language emulation technology to curate highly articulate spear phishing and phishing emails for social engineering purposes and also to create malware, which I was able to do myself with some very well-worded prompts to chat GPT, though it did have a little caveat at the bottom of the info-stealing malware that it created for me that it was for educational purposes only. Um, Mm. We've seen a lot of discourse across the forums of the deep and dark web on how cybercriminals can abuse chat GPT in those words to launch various different attacks and to automate different parts of the attack chain, whether it be creating fine-tuning malware, finding software vulnerabilities in enterprise networks, and various other tactics and techniques to sort of optimize the existing capabilities of these cyber criminals. That said, as well, through my own research, I was quick to identify the fact that ChatGPT, with the right prompts and the right uh, cyber criminal guiding those prompts and really fine-tuning the directions given to the model could actually serve to streamline the entire attack chain, even with ransomware attacks from pre-ransomware activity and all the way to the very end of the attack chain. Can we dig into that some? What what are some of the, the, the elements here that come into play? So ChatGPT will tell you itself that it is a language model. It's not designed to write scripts or to fast track any types of the um, technology production process. But because it is trained upon such a large corpus of data, it does have coding expertise. It does know how to create new websites or code for websites. It can also test for vulnerabilities in software and sort of identify the weak spots 
in an enterprise network's attack surface. Using ChatGPT, uh, this sort of accelerates the process for um, initial access. So that might be creating, as I did, an info-stealing malware and even the spear phishing email with the link to download the malware in the first place. It might involve testing for the vulnerabilities and weak spots in an organization's systems. It might also be through establishing access through various other botnets or other types of compromising. It might be through compromised credentials uh, and similar other types of access vectors. After it's been, after that access has been gained, the pre-ransomware activity, that initial access is granted to those cyber criminals. It can also then support the process of moving laterally, escalating privileges, gaining access, identifying the, the most valuable systems and data. And then again, with the right guidance, and this requires quite sophisticated cyber criminal expertise to then help to support and fine tune the actual malware to drive the ransomware. And that involves high sophistication in encryption, cryptography, and all sorts of other very niche cyber criminal expertise. But again, with ChatGPT, you can really optimize and accelerate that entire process using the chatbot automation. It's quite amazing, really. So to what degree do you think that this is lowering the barrier of entry for cyber criminals versus, as you say, kind of accelerating the capabilities of folks who already have some expertise in this field, or or perhaps it's both? It is both. And it's both because the democratization of these generative AI tools, it's not just that that's contributing to the lower barriers of entry. It's that in tandem with a multitude of other different factors and trends that we've been noticing across the underground in recent years. That includes these initial access broker markets, which is where threat actors buy and sell their initial foothold into a target enterprises network. Um, Also through the rise of as a service and particularly ransomware as a service where these established sophisticated threat actors license out their ransomware technology and infrastructure to less expert affiliates, uh, sort of the novice cyber criminals to then use and distribute almost as their peddlers or foot soldiers, which allows them to then scale their operations. It's this, the democratization of AI tools is only one part of this trend that we've been witnessing for in recent years. It's similar to saying that a 3D printer isn't going to print for you the entire gun, but it will print for you the barrel, the trigger, and you know all the other different components that you need to make a gun. And if you know how to put it together, or if you've made one part and someone else's 3D printer has made another part, you put it together, it's in a workable gun that you can use to then go out on the street and shoot someone. The same is with this, this attack chain, in particular, I was speaking about in my report, the ransomware attack chain. Generative AI tools are not going to allow any cyber criminal to completely curate the ransomware attack chain from A to Z. But it does allow and enable lesser skilled cyber criminals to take part in forms of cyber crime that in the past were only accessible to those with higher levels of expertise. Sort of allows them to then dip their toes in this world of cyber crime and to be involved in the wider collaborative effort of an attack, as it quite often is, whereas there's not usually one cyber criminal that's responsible for every component of, a, of an attack chain. There's a lot of people have their expertise in different fields. And it allows these lesser skilled cyber criminals to take part in the wider cybercrime enterprise and makes even 
the novice cyber criminals be involved in very intense and highly uh, damaging attacks. That's Delilah Schwartz from Cyber Six Guild. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to the CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. And I am pleased to welcome back to the show Eric Goldstein. He is Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Uh, Eric, welcome back to the show. I, I want to focus today on this notion of stopping the threat itself, the, that particular direction that you all come to this mission from. Can we start with some high-level stuff here? I mean, how do you and your colleagues there at CISA come at it from this direction? Absolutely, David. First of all, it's great be back with you and the team. You know, one of the biggest challenges that we face in cybersecurity as a community, as a nation, is really stepping back and answering the question, what are adversaries doing on American networks today? How are they breaking into American networks? How are they achieving their goals? Where are they focusing their efforts? And so many organizations, public and private, have pieces of that puzzle, have the ability to identify their activity targeting certain networks. And of course, there are cybersecurity companies doing extraordinary work in this space, but none of us have the full tapestry, which really makes it hard for us to say, is the problem getting better or getting worse? And so at CISA, one of our real focus areas is advancing what we call operational visibility, which is our ability to work with the community to really get that broad understanding of what are adversaries focusing on, how are they achieving their goals, and then how can we stop them? And that's a combination of us getting visibility at CISA through our own detections, our own sensors, but most critically by partnering with those who have national, even global visibility and sharing those insights so together we can, we can make that tapestry be a reality and actually drive investment in the right controls. Can you give us a, a sense for the, the the spectrum of the cyber threat landscape that you all are keeping an eye on here? Absolutely. You know, it, it really has to be divided, I think, by, by intent. Uh, we see uh, nation-state adversaries, uh, of course, uh, Russia, China, Iran among them, uh, who are seeking intrusions uh, for geopolitical gain, to gain some advantage over the United States or our allies. Uh, we, of course, have seen uh, Russian and Chinese actors uh, in particular take advantage of geopolitical events, of course, in Russia's case, proximate to their criminal invasion of Ukraine, to target entities around the world, to gain access, even set the stage uh, for the possibility of future malicious acts. And then, of course, we have actors who are motivated more financially. The North Korean government uh, is, of course, in this category, as are the myriad of criminal groups, uh, many of which have engaged in, in ransomware, encryption, or exfiltration across far too many networks in this country and around the world. But we've seen, really, across the board, that very few of these intrusions, whether a nation state trying to achieve strategic gain or a criminal group seeking financial gain, very few of these intrusions are using, for example, chains of zero-day vulnerabilities, never-before-seen tradecraft. Most of these intrusions are really using 
no exploited vulnerabilities, known tradecraft, misconfigurations, uh, reused credentials. And so we know that if we can figure out the most common ways that adversaries are targeting American networks, then we can much more effectively, first of all, detect adversaries, uh, reduce their dwell time, reduce impact of intrusions, but also drive investment in the most effective detections and controls to reduce their effectiveness over time and increase their marginal costs. What about disruption itself, your ability to get out there and interfere with these threat actors? Yeah, it is such a great question, Dave. You know, the U.S. government, of course, brings a variety of tools to the table. And the tool that CISA brings is cyber defense, right? We are focused on protecting and securing American organizations. But we work hand in glove with our partners across government who have the ability to impose disruptive costs on our adversaries, whether our partners at U.S. Cyber Command or in federal law enforcement, like the FBI and the U.S. Secret Service. And one thing we try to do is when we get information about an intrusion targeting an American network, sharing that information really quickly with the permission of the victim with our partners in government who have those authorities. The idea being that if we can build this flywheel of defense to offense such that an adversary targeting an American network sees consequences from their actions, for example, the infrastructure being taken down hours after their, their intrusion being undertaken, well, that also imposes costs. And so our idea is to make America the costliest possible target in cyberspace, whether through better defense, by, by turning attacks on America into actions taken against our, our adversaries abroad, or by other means, whether financial sanctions or, or diplomacy, so our adversaries simply think that American organizations are too hard a target and they do something else with their time. How about incident response? You know, when something does happen, what role can CISA play after the fact? There, there's a few different roles, Dave. The first is uh, we do maintain uh, an outstanding incident response and threat hunting team that we deploy on both government and private sector networks. Almost always we are deploying in tandem with a private sector or third-party incident response team. And we know that, frankly, in this country, most organizations, the vast majority, are going to contact a third-party IR team for their response. That is absolutely terrific, and we encourage them to do so. At CISA, our goal really is threefold in incident response. The first goal is to make sure that if an organization needs help from the government, we are there to stand ready. We do a lot of this work with federal agencies and with state and local partners who might need unique help from the federal government or this organization that's being targeted by, for example, a nation-state adversary uh, or, or experiencing some unique impact. But the second and third goals are equally important. The second goal is to make sure that we are gleaning technical information from incident response around the nation, around the world, that we can rapidly share to safeguard others. And so in that regard, we work really closely with third-party private sector IR firms to learn what they are learning and with permission of their customers, glean some of that information that we can then use to populate our cybersecurity advisories, our information sharing. And the third, of course, is to understand trends in adversary activity so that when we publish guidance, we publish direction, it is actually informed by what adversaries are doing on American networks uh, and indeed networks around the world so that if we are saying these controls, these mitigations are most important, that's grounded in reality. That's grounded in what we are seeing in the incident response space and we are, we are driving investment towards the right mitigations that reduce the most risk. Eric Goldstein is Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at CISA. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. 
Thanks so much, Dave. Always a pleasure. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Alan West from Akamai. We're discussing the Dark Frost Enigma, an unexpectedly prevalent botnet author profile. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Ivan. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by Rachel Gelfand. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.